I'm concerned that time is going to run out before we get anywhere near through the material. So I'm going to go ahead and give you the next two charts, even though we won't, won't get to it. I, I want you to look at one of them is sources of prospects. And I, I think this one would be good. Uh, let me get here again. Okay, and then what's left, Phil, put it back here, okay. Mark. And then this one here is an interesting chart also, that, except for my writing. Down. Oh, okay. Okay, I, I agree with what Emily's said. In fact, Emily's a good example. yeah, she's, she is. In fact, during the time Emily was going through what she went through, I don't know how many positive comments that I made and, and others also relative to the way she handled that. But she, that's an excellent example. The way uh, Christians, by the way, what happened to e Emily, does it eventually happen to all of us in one way or another? It does. It, it, uh, with me, it may be cancer someplace else. It may be my heart. It may be an automobile accident. It may be some weird virus that I get. But sooner or later, it's going to happen to me. And it's going to happen to every member of my family. And so when we, Jesus didn't come to keep these things from happening. They're here in part of the sinful world. But he gives us the strength to handle those things while we're on the way to eternal life. And I agree that the very way that we handle all the problems of life is one of the ways that we are a light in the world. And, and they want that. Now, along with the question that uh, Emily posed, or that, that statement, think of the statement that Peter made in 1 Peter 3 and verse 15. Sanctify the Lord in your heart and be ready to give an answer to anybody that asks you of the hope that lies within you and yet with meekness and fear. Notice that he, he's not even making the statement to, to go out here and just preach on the corner. We're not saying there's anything wrong with that. Paul, Paul definitely did it. But he's saying that to be ready to give an answer, that's an oral defense for what you believe to anyone that asks you about the hope that is within you. What's the assumption in that statement by Peter? And what about that hope you've got? What's the other part of the assumption? Okay, it's obvious. It's obvious to others that you're walking around with a hope of eternal life. In the whole context there, that's what he's talking about, is eternal life. And so that you and I walk around with a hope of eternal life, so we look at life different than people that don't have this hope. And so he said that, that if we really have it, it ought to actually motivate. I mean, if I see somebody that's really certain and confident that they've got eternal life. I'm curious. Now, now these people that say they've got it and they, they run around scared all the time and they're all the time complaining, they can't handle the problems of life. Uh, I think they're like that basketball player that's throwing it up from 50 feet out and calling it a prayer or a hope. Uh, that's not a hope that's based in anything that's, that's real. But I see a person handling the issues of life with confidence about eternal life and, and the knowledge that if I die, I just simply go to be with the Lord. Well, that, that, that doesn't prove the case, does it? But it kindles my curiosity. I'm concerned about what is it they know that causes them to have this kind of hope. Now, 
We mentioned uh, the factor up here of rejection, knowledge, and, and the, how to get it in the conversation. Is there any way at all to get around a certain amount of rejection that's going to take place? I mean, if this guy wants to date this girl, he's, he's going to have to run the risk that she says no. And, uh, and the same thing with anything else. When, when you go to get a job, do you run the risk of rejection? I mean, you put your best on the front. You, you know, you dress for it, and you got your resume, and you know that they may very well say no. Well, what about Jesus? Did he experience rejection? You know, one of the good things I think we get out of rejection is identifying with Christ and, and appreciating what he went through. He did experience rejection. The people that should have received him totally rejected him. And that's the religious leaders. Uh, the people that should have been the most turned on totally rejected him. So let me suggest to you that when you hesitate because you fear rejection, and by the way, I don't want to push aside knocking on doors, inviting, or anything like it. I think there's a place for all of that, you know, that, and, and it's just that our emphasis needs to be where I think the real, the real impact is. But anytime you contemplate rejection by others, I think you, you think first of Christ. And I, and I think that, hey, Jesus died for me. I mean, the way they rejected him is they spit on him, they mocked him, they beat him up, and they crucified him. Now, you, you tell me that that's not rejection. And here I am worried about the fact that somebody might say no to me. And that helps me. Uh, when, I, when I think in terms of rejection in any sense, I think of what the Lord experienced. And I think this is what's involved when he says, you confess me and, and I confess you. And I believe that helps me through it. But I don't ever believe it's pleasant. I think it's something I have to fight through all the time. I just, you know, rejection is just not something that, that sets well. Okay, what about this knowledge? level here. How much knowledge do you have to have? Okay, Mike says you got to have some. That's exactly right. And are there different levels of knowledge required for different things you may be talking about or different levels of, of growth here? In other words, because uh, I don't have the knowledge to teach this, does that mean I can't teach this? You can reach a lot of people uh, without doing informal teaching. If you're just showing or displaying Christian love, if you're just giving someone a cup of water to drink because they need it, you're giving them a meal. If they've had death in their family, in their family you're showing concern. Okay, you're displaying the Christian, but what do we, sooner or later, though, have to reach the point of there has to be some level of confrontation with the actual gospel? It has, all right, now here's what I'm going to suggest to you is an area where a lot of very good Christians fall short. The people will do the area of helping out, and that, we, we've got to have that. And they'll do good things but they never quite reach the point of a confrontation with the gospel and, and the actual, God's actual plan for the salvation of mankind. And, and the fact that, hey, you're a sinner, uh, you, you need to repent of your sins, you need to put your trust uh, in the sacrifice of Christ, you need to express that trust, that that has to come. And I, I think that, uh, that one lady I'm thinking about, and uh, Barbara and I know this lady well, she taught in an area, all the years I was principal, she taught in school, member of the church, had absolutely one of the best reputations in the community, didn't she, Barbara? Every year, I had several first grade teachers, and every year I had more people wanting to put their kids in her class than, in fact, sometimes they'd fight over it. I mean, they would get there and they'd say, you know, we were lining them up for the classes and I'm not leaving. They're going to be in her class, you know, and, and that's it. And we went through that all the time. But a tremendous reputation for being an excellent teacher, for being a good disciplinarian and yet loving towards children and everything. Uh, good moral lady. 
all the years I was there and knew her in the church, and I knew her for a total of, I guess, over 20 years now, and she'd been there for years beyond that. I don't know of a single solitary person she ever led to Christ. I don't know of a single visitor that we ever had because she invited them. Not one time. I don't know of a single person that ever came into any kind of a study situation. I don't know of anybody that obeyed the gospel or anything because there was any contact. She simply didn't talk about those things. And she, wouldn't, she was, would never engage in any type of thing where there would have been any kind of debating or argument or, or anything like that. She wouldn't have touched that at all. And yet she was a good person. Excellent teacher, but did not write. My uh, one of the guys that was a good friend of mine, uh, in a, he was in a, another religious group, had a reputation for being the best eighth grade teacher at the time. At the time that I met him and had first started, reputation for being the best eighth grade teacher in the county. You know, excellent teacher of math taught math, uh, really respected, really good teacher. Uh, again, a very strong believer. Coach, I don't know of a single solitary person. Is it because we, we feel like we're judging people when we do that? You know what I'm saying? Well, it, some of that may be, Mike, but we're not talking about judging people. We're talking about introducing them to Christ. But I think it's fair rejection. We just don't want to even from young people uh, in, in that situation, we just don't want to upset the apple cart okay. by, the and, way, by asking them. And fear immobilizes us. Yep. I think the good example is the plank. Yeah, to show you what fear can do is, is a good example. I, I agree that fear, of, I think, with the lady. She believes in God. I know she does. She, she believes in Jesus and, and, and her life. But I don't know that she could even come close to handling rejection. If, if when I did an evaluation of her, uh, I could just tell she was un, she was uncomfortable. And if I had put down any mark that wasn't near perfect, I think it would have crushed her. Uh, and uh, that she was that tight. But I'm saying a tremendous moral person. But I don't that somewhere we have to reach the point of talking to these people about Jesus and their responsibility and repenting of sins and putting their trust in Christ and, and going ahead with their submission to him. There has to come that point in time. Uh, on the fear motive, the example that was used is a guy said, here you've got an eight inch plank reaching from here to the podium over there. And it's eight inches wide. We lay it on the floor and you put $50 over on the end is there anybody that would not walk this eight inch plank over there and pick up at $50? Let's raise it up about two feet. I'd say we're still walking. Let's put it up there about 50 foot and still eight inches. How many of us are gonna walk over there and get it? Same width, but what happens? Now what we're seeing is, by the way, I'm not going after it either. <laughs> what we're seeing is though, that fear can immobilize you. Is that you can reach a point where you just will not function. And if a person really fears this and does not learn to overcome it, they won't speak up. Uh, they, and, and we have to, and I, I think one of the weakness in evangelism, I've known a lot of very good people in the church who were good moral people, but who never would actually confront somebody in an area where there was a difference in where you was leading this person to make a decision. Todd? I think even more than rejection, I think not, if I've got the knowledge, the rejection to me is not going to be near. I think the point, my biggest thing, what's the old adage, knowledge comes power. I mean, I think that gives, I think it's all based on confidence. Okay, I agree. Confident in what you know to be right. And if you're confident when you, or at the point to talk to that person, that you can handle that person, then you, then I think that goes a long way in eliminating the rejection. Okay, I hear right down the line that I feel, Todd, on that, and why I emphasize on evidences so much. Uh, 
the, if you reach the point where you know something beyond any, you just know it, and you're positive, and, and you're convinced that, that I can handle whatever is said here, that even if they reject, it's like offering somebody some money and he rejects it. Well, that's, that's his loss. That's his loss. Don't uh, be afraid to say, I don't know, though. Right. Don't be afraid to say, I really don't know that, but I'm trying to find out. Right, but I'm saying that we all, right, will deal with that. But what I'm talking about, there is a level of knowledge about salvation that every Christian can have. And, and that every, and he can be certain. I believe the one thing that every Christian ought to know beyond any doubt in his mind is that the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is a historical fact. It, it's not wishful thinking. It doesn't depend on the emotion of the preacher. It doesn't depend on uh, any of his particular powers. It is a historical fact that can be laid down and demonstrated. And I'll look any professor right in the eye or anybody else and say, hey, you top this evidence. You refute it. You know, it, it's there. Uh, it, it's like Irvin Linton said, that uh, to appreciate it, you have to ask yourself the question, what could God do to make it stronger? What could he do to authenticate it and make it stronger? And I really believe that we don't have to know every verse in Revelation. We don't have to perfectly understand the entire Bible and all. But when it comes to why you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead, and that is a historical fact, I think we need to know that. And we, and we need to study it and, and understand it. And, and Todd, in this area, what I feel is a lot of people that have been brought up in the church and, and then obeyed and all, they had so many other things, such as Christian parents, and they reap the benefits of a Christian family. And, and there was the, the feeling that the law agreed with them internally and everything, and the traction of the personality that they really never bothered their brain and all to do the research that's necessary to know objectively a lot of things in this area. But then when they go to try and reach out this other person, if he hasn't had those experiences, he, he, doesn't, he doesn't feel that. And the only thing that's going to reach this guy in the world is objective evidence. And we've mentioned we make friends of him by doing the things that uh, Bob mentioned, that, uh, that we're there, we're need, we're making friends, we're showing Christ in that. But even if I conduct myself that way, does that prove that Jesus was raised from the dead? It, it, it shows that, hey, there's something good here and it's attractive, but uh, it doesn't prove Gandhi was a tremendous man. Uh, read his, his life. Mother Teresa is a beautiful lady. Uh, she is more spiritual, I think, than I am. I've never been tempted to buy into the idea that the Pope is Christ's vicar on this earth. There's nothing about Mother Teresa's life that leads to me to believe that the Pope is Christ's vicar on this life. I'm, I'm impressed by these Mormons that go door to door and that are so clean cut and, and their sincerity, and their dedication, their giving of two years of their life. But there is nothing in that that proves to me that Joseph Smith is a prophet of God. And I'm impressed with the Jehovah's Witness when they go around knocking on the doors and things like that. But there's nothing about that that has convinced me that what they're saying is, is right. My mind is going to be reached with objective evidence. And I believe that with that, and I like the word you use, uh, I at least believe that, Todd, I believe with knowledge there is, there is confidence, there's certainty, and there's power that comes with knowledge itself. And I think a big part of this is for all Christians to learn the information about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You know, and it's, it, we're not talking about something that any normal person cannot easily learn. That, that, and I think that when we talk about evangelism, I hope that's the one thing that we all know frontwards, backwards, and sideways when, when we're through with all of this, Mark. Just to give you an example, Brady, you go through, you go through school, Mark, school, whatever profession that you're in, and, and it's true with doctors and, and pharmacists as well, when questions are posed to you that you don't know, why do you think that doctor leaves and comes back a few minutes later? He goes right to his library. And exactly right. And a whole right, a library that's full of resources and everything. And 
you ask a pharmacist a question on the phone and says, call him just a minute. Where do you think he's going? Do you think he's just holding so he can think about it a minute? He's going to consult his references. Sure. And so we, we need to understand that, that, that we're probably not going to know everything, but that, that there's, a, there's just a, a world of resources available to us, and, and that includes you know, our ministers, but it also includes you know, the library. We have a good library, and, and I, know, I know even me, if I a lot of different subjects, you know, I would just have to you know, research them, and just like if you want to teach a Bible Sure, there's some basic, like Mark was saying, that don't we use others' expertise in the secular world? I mean, if, if, if I have some problems over there with the house on some little matter, who's the carpenter around here? You know, I'm going to say, Joe, that such and such has happened. Can you give me any ideas of, you know, what is happening here? Or, or if we got a mechanic and something is not sounding right in my car, I might sound it off and say, have you got any ideas about this? We do that kind of thing all the time. And the same thing in, the, in, the, in reaching out. Most people out here are not atheists. Most of them in this community are not rank unbelievers. Uh, a lot are, are agnostic and, and are looking for, for reasons to believe and all. But if, you, if somebody has a question that is beyond you, number one, it makes, it's going to cause you to study, which is good. And there's nothing wrong with saying, hey, that's a good question. Uh, let's, let's, by the way, when it comes to setting up studies with people, this is one of the prime methods that they suggest, that any time you're talking with somebody and they said, well, I've always wondered, or what do you think about such and such? They said, rather than try to handle that in two minutes, which you can't, it said, hey, why don't we get together and study that? And then, and then you've got a perfect opening to get together and, and study that event. And you can say that, well, to tell you the truth, we couldn't do it justice in a couple of minutes. But let's get together and study it. Or you could say, uh, I know so-and-so over here who is really studied in that area. And uh, let's get together and, and study it. And you can use people who are more studied in a particular area. Todd? Even, I understand that. But you still have to reach a level of competency to be able to use those resources, to be able to, be able to understand how mm -hmm. to interpret and how to And if I've got a question, I still got to come back here and know where to look, how to report, and then once I get it, how to be able to interpret and how to be able to convey that message to that person in a way that they can understand it. Okay, now I'll tell you, part what you're saying is right, and I'll tell you what we do again as a people and the reason for some of this. What are the most, in our church services, what are the most popular type classes? Self-help. Okay, I'm talking about the self-help. What, uh, you want to you get... Uh, uh, want, you want a big group or something like that, uh, how to have a better marriage, um, how, to do, how to better rear your children, uh, how to get along with your boss, um, how to overcome anxiety, uh, uh, all of these kinds of things that that's what we want. What happens when you throw up a class that involves technical, hardcore, objective evidence? See, how many people, you see, there's, I'm saying that within the church, that we're thinking in terms all the time of, of helping ourselves, which is fine. But that there is the need to take time to learn why we believe this book is inspired of God and why we believe the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ is a, is a historical fact. And, and there really, I believe that it, it takes time and that, that we ought to have that. And I believe that if we start thinking in terms of reaching people in the world, we're going to think that way. And one of the reasons it's been neglected is because it, that we've had more of the aquarium approach. And we've been concerned about those things regularly. Look at the type of things that go on in the churches, the programs and all. We regularly are doing self-help type things. And I'm not against that. I'm for it. Uh, I, Barbara and I benefited from a marriage seminar once that, uh, uh, you know, that was very, very good. And I'm all for our marriage seminars. We're going to have one and all. But I'm saying along with that, there has to be the technical information. You, you just can't read novels. Somewhere along the line, if you want to know American history, you've got to get a textbook down and look at the facts. 
and somewhere along the line, chemistry and algebra and, and those kinds of things have got to be studied, even though they're, they're more difficult. And I believe in this area, too, that there's a, a line of study that is more difficult and does not necessarily meet your immediate need and so can be pushed aside. Uh, Gene? Part of the way that the majority of people with whom we will deal on this question, however, don't need to be proven that, that uh, God exists or right. created the world. But, right. Uh, our knowledge of why we became Christians and found the need for it and why we remain Christians is enough to get us going. I think what Gene said is perfect, uh, that you are a Christian for some reason. And there are other people with a similar background out there who are not. And that's enough to get you going, all right? Anything you deal with, you start with a certain level of competency and then you grow, right? I believe that as we come in contact with these situations, it motivates you to study. And I really believe that if we spent more time interacting with people in the world, we'd be doing a lot more studying in, in this line. It's just like in our Bible studies that, uh, uh, Everybody has the same background, generally the same questions and all. Uh, it liven up the discussion to have people from some other groups come in sometimes and, and throw some questions out in some areas where we take for granted and challenge some things that we take for granted. And that's true for the others also. But I believe that as we cultivate friends in the world, we realize it's not good enough to them to just say such and such that they want to know why, and that really motivates us to, to study in that realm. Uh, Mark? So, Paul, what you're saying is, is making friends with people and, and all is, our object, is one objective, but once we do that, we also have to intend to get this, the, the message across about Jesus Christ. We have to get that in, start a discussion, a dialogue about Christianity and why we're Christians or whatever, and try to get them interested in that. And if we, if we just make friends and we never get to the point where we actually start talking about Christianity, and all we're doing is making friends. That's right. And what Mark, everybody heard what Mark is saying. In this congregation right here and congregations all over, I believe you've got a lot of people who have a lot of friends out there in the world. Whether they say it or not, they do. And they have developed friendships, but they've never let it get to the point where they may be rejected and, and actually confronted. If I'm an insurance salesman, I want to make friends, right? I may even join some clubs. I may go to the church or, or whatever. I want to make friends. But... The bottom line is that sooner or later I've got to confront this person with, with his need for insurance. And, and the good ones do that. Now, Mike asked a question. Uh, where's, where's Mike at? Oh, okay. Okay. Mike asked the question, when do you draw the line? In other words, you're, you're making friends and all, and, and then Tim said that, you know, you don't want to just drop people and all. Uh, uh, again, this is from the, the reading in this area of, of reaching people. What does an insurance salesman do when he's, cult he's wanting to sell insurance when it's obvious that this person is not interested? He moves on. It doesn't mean that you forgot this person. I was reading from one guy who started an evangelism program, and this was within the church. And he, he was a retired insurance person, retired at 55, had been very successful, and so he approached evangelism the way he sold insurance. And he said he learned something in his early years of selling insurance. And he said he learned, for example, that about 80% of his sales came on the first or second contact. And that he wound up that realizing that he put a lot of time and a lot of worry with people that never did become interested. So what he said is, I decided to concentrate on those people that were interested and says when and and then just keep moving on and then really give them the best service and that's how his business actually grew and then he went ahead and gave a number of examples of successful business people that said they evaluate their time all right now what did, did jesus touch on this issue what did he say when you when you when you reach the point where you've presented the good news to somebody you've developed the friendship and they they say they're not interested okay you can't, and if we don't watch ourselves, I want to reach these people out here that have been faithful and have gone back into the world, and, and we need to make the effort and all. But you can't. There comes a point. We, we've got, there's people out there who's never heard the gospel. And I really believe that even the friendship category, when it becomes obvious that I've invested a lot of time in this person and they're not interested, then I'm going to put them on the back burner, and then... Uh, 
remember <laughs> he did it in a very humorous way the other night. And I forget exactly what he said. But uh, he said from the standpoint of, of getting to that point of confrontation, uh, getting that person into Christ, if somebody makes it clear they're not interested, keep the door open. And by the way, the evangelism seminar I went to a few weeks back in Chattanooga, one of the points that he made was never close a door. Never allow the door to be closed. Always keep the door open and keep it open for somebody else. Like somebody mentioned earlier that somebody may come along that, that just hits it off with this person better than I have. Uh, somebody may come along that can step in where I left off. So leave the door open. And by that, don't leave the impression that, hey, you're, you're now down on them because they didn't accept it. You love them, you're concerned about them and everything, and you want them to have a good feel, and so leave that door open, but still move on. And we've, we've got to move on to the, to the people that we're trying to reach. Gene? I think one of my problems, and maybe a, a lot of us, is when is the right time to start preaching? Mm -hmm. And when is the right time to Okay, Gene asked about when the right time and place. I think we're always looking. Emily gave a good example earlier in her situation. It's like I couldn't have made it. Nothing what she's really saying is there's nothing special about me, but there's something special about Christ. And I couldn't have made it through this without Christ. And so I think any opportunity like that or when the other person is going through it. But I believe all, there are all kinds of opportunities. You might say, man, I would hate to even attempt to bring up children in the world today without Christ. I mean, I, I wouldn't even want to attempt it. Uh, in the instance that you were talking about the teachers that you work with, the first grade teachers, and uh, I wonder if she didn't say to herself time and again, this isn't the time or place to bring this up. Right. I think we find ourselves doing the same thing, and, and, and it really so. could be. Mm -hmm. Well, we, we can't pass yeah. that opportunity. Yeah. I would say we pass that opportunity probably daily and don't no. even realize right. it. That's not. my point. We, we but, use that maybe as an excuse instead of right. doing it then. We say, well, this isn't the time place. I guess one of the reasons I feel confident in, in that area is that all the, the years that I was not a Christian and all, somebody could have talked to me anytime they wanted to. Uh, I was open. They didn't know it. And what you've got to remember, uh, I know uh, ladies can speak for themselves. With males, you, you often see a projection that is not that real person. That, that guy that is the, the big, tough, rugged individual may be the most tender-hearted one of the whole bunch. In our society, he's taught not to show that. And everybody has to be concerned with the issues of life. And so I just have the feeling that everybody's made in the image of God and they are concerned. And it, uh, one of the reasons that years ago, uh, that this has worked great for Barbara and I in years past, all through, but in fact, uh, when we were in uh, Tom's River, I guess all the baptisms we had came through this, and the same that the other places and all, but our home Bible study that it's just very easy without being pushy or anything that after we make friends with somebody to, to then just say, hey, we've got a Bible study and whatnot, and you know, that it, it was there. They can turn it down and they don't have to show up, but, but at least you can invite them to it. And same with our neighbors, where we are as we, we work. In fact, what I have to watch out for, sometimes I'll jump in too soon, just like we talked about our neighbors that we invited them over, and the first two weeks we was there, I'd already asked him to the Bible class three times, and uh, you know that, and we're right, we're right there. And I, if I had to do over again, I wouldn't do it. It's just that we had just started the work here, and I thought what those people need to do is see some success, and they realize. Next to us that uh, she's telling me I shouldn't have said that. She's going, shh. <laughs> if I was sitting next to her, I'd have called an elbow about that. But anyway, that, oh, that's right, I forgot about the tape. But, but anyway, uh, on that, it would have been better to have cultivated the relationship a little more. Had, we had them over to eat and everything like that, and we talked, and I invited him again, you know. But uh, it, would have, it would have been better to have invited him over and to got to know him. We were talking across the fence, you know, as we get out and work in our yards and things like that. And if I had to do over, I'd taken about six months or so 
cultivating that relationship. And then after I felt that he, he liked me and, and we were close enough, then inviting to our luncheon or something like that, or, or to a study or, or something of that nature. And so I believe that uh, Joe brought it up earlier that we can bring this up too soon enough, but the bottom line is we have to get to it. And, and, and a lot of Christians don't. And, and then when it comes to the confrontation, this again, uh, running out of time and experience uh, that, that I actually had, and so I know I used to be hesitant and still, I, I hate to be pushy in any way, and it just it really bothers me. But before we left, uh, a place where we were, were in, in where Barbara's hometown is up at Collins, and, and I was going at that time down to Georgia to work in a mission area. We had about six or so people that I had studied with, and they had started coming to services, and we went through a complete series of studies, and, and they hadn't obeyed the gospel yet. And, you know, I just, uh, I'd, got, I'd developed a good relationship with them, and so I told Barbara, I says that, you know, I, I just got to, to make sure on this. And so one by one, I went around and I said, uh, Frank, listen, uh, you know, we studied and everything like that. And, and I just would like to ask you, because I'm, I'm just interested in all, do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? I mean, what is your honest feeling there? He said, well, sure. I said, is repentance any problem for you? I mean, is there anything? Do you uh, No, I believe that we should repent. I said, well, Frank, what is, what's keeping you from being baptized? He said, I really don't know. I said, Frank, would you like to be baptized now? And, I, and then his wife, you know, she asked, she said, well, he said, yes. And she said, well, I was baptized as a child, but I didn't know what I was doing. She says, I want to be baptized too. And we went down and baptized both of them. Well, I don't remember whether it was five or six or it was four or five or six, but within a few days' time, we baptized four or five or six people. I'm thinking that this has been dragging on for years. My stepfather, the same thing happened to him. I taught him and taught him and taught him. And I went through archaeology books and Christian evidences books. And we went through the Bible. And, and when he was going to church, and we all knew that he believed. He was going with mom all the time. But he's my stepfather, and I never confronted him. And then I get a phone call from mom one time telling him he's been baptized. And so I asked her, how did it happen? And she said, well, we had a, a minister in holding a meeting. And they had told him about art and said that this minister followed him right out in the parking lot after the last service on, on Friday. And he said, Art, I just want to ask you some questions. Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? He said, yes. He said, do you have any problem with the repentance? No. What in the world is keeping you from being baptized? Well, I don't know. Would you like to go and be baptized now? Yes. Took him in there and baptized him. And so I'm saying that, that on the one hand, we have those fears. But... We don't know people's heart until we present the information. And sometimes people may be wanting you to actually come forth and pull out of them those things, especially people that have been brought up in certain type of, of situations. So I'm saying that we want to develop friendships. We have to do it. But the, we have to also reach the point of confrontation in the sense that we invite them to a Bible study, we invite them to a church service, we invite them. By the way, make your first invite at something that you think they're most apt to come to and most apt to want to come back. That's why I think our luncheons on Wednesday, I think that's great. Uh, to, to get to eat with the brethren over there and, and meet a lot of good people and then the classes and all, I think, and it gives you a chance to talk and all, I think that's a real good situation. Okay, she mentioned, that's good. Uh, everybody knows about the Boston Movement, okay? And, uh, Brad, you may not. That's a little uh, in-house thing on that. But anyway, uh, the Boston Movement wasn't all bad, was it? Did, did they reach out and convert a lot of people? Did you know from everything I've read, from all I've talked with, and we've had the problems and things like that, if there had been more evangelism within the church, if there had been more emphasis on evangelism, do you think that movement would have ever started? I know that Carl's did a lot of reading on it. It would have never come into existence. It came into existence because of sincere people in the church who were concerned about the fact that all we wanted to do seemingly was, was in-house stuff. 
and that there was no urgency to, to reach out and reach others for Jesus. And you just can't read the New Testament and know that that's the most pleasing thing you can do to God. And that's the most Christ-like thing you can do, that, that we're saved to save others. And we're the tool that God is, is using. And so they just got tired of trying to get it started and dealing with the excuses and, and watching money go into everything under the sun except that. And so they stepped out. And they were fantastically successful at first. And even now, uh, you talk to some, they're still reaching out and all. Now, there are some wrong things, things I believe are wrong within the movement itself. But the wrong does not negate the right. We can look at that and see that, hey, what are the right things that they have done in order to reach others? And we can use those principles. Uh, we didn't, uh, obviously didn't get uh, through on this here, on the, the message, and I think we covered somewhat on the fact that, uh, that we have to go out of our way to make friends and all, and how we do it. One passage that somebody brought up, 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 27 before, uh, in the meeting is that Paul's attitude, well, am I safe in saying that after Christ, he's the greatest evangelist of them all? Think, is there anything about that you can think that Paul ever said, separate apart from his knowledge and everything that helped him to be that great evangelist and so successful? In his writings. Okay. Paul said that I have become all things to all people. To the Jew, become like a Jew. To the Gentile, like a Gentile. To the weak, weak. To the strong, strong. I've become all things that I might win some to Christ. Paul didn't mind subjecting himself to some particular tradition or whatever if it was not something that was, that, uh, that was immoral or ungodly. Uh, he worked to make himself acceptable to others. I, I believe Jesus in the time he washed feet was teaching us a lesson that, that in, in humility and in service to others. And I believe that that attitude has to exist before we're going to make the sacrifices to do this, that we're going to have to look at ourselves as servants of others. If I, your Lord and Master, am here as a servant, then surely we ought to be. And I think that we have to be willing to become all things to other people. We have to be willing to get out of our comfort zone. We have to be willing to say, hey, I love you and I love the association here, but that person, Jesus said, who was it that needed the position? The sick. The sick. And that we need to have to be willing to cultivate. And then if we can do that, and by the way, uh, the next time we meet, uh, this will meet in one hour times. Man, I hope you guys will stick with me and, and, and with us and we, we do this, uh, get together some more on this. There are some things that we're going to start that we can use. One program that the elders have already approved is where we subscribe to a company that will send us the names and addresses to all, of all new people that move into this area. So if a new, people moves, new person moves over in the area where I live, then I can go and welcome them into the community. And then at the same time I welcome them in the community, invite them to the, to the services and all. And when it comes to making friends, new people are the best people in the world to talk with. Why? They're looking for friends. They're, they're looking for friends. And see, a lot of people in Kingston are from this area, and, and they've got all kinds of family. New people are looking for friends, and, and so they are good people to me. But we are going to subscribe to that, and we're going to try to get people that will be willing to go to those in their neighborhood and welcome that person in. And we'll have also a brochure that you'll be able to hand to that person and tell them something about the church and what we're about. Uh, we've cut a tape. Mark's already making copies, and we're going to, and the tape is called Why Study the Bible. It's just a tape uh, that you can hand to somebody and introduces reasons for studying the Bible and all, and, and ask them to listen to it uh, in their car. And the other side of the tape is going to be why we believe the Bible is inspired of God. And so I've cut the first side already, and then the second side will be why we believe the Bible is inspired of God, and it, hopefully it will be done in just a tactful way and something that you can just hand to somebody and say, would you listen to this? And then you get to say, when you get it back, what did you think of it? Uh, Barbara? One final thing that I have in my mind is the fact that most of the 
Okay, motivation is from when? Man, I believe that. Not, not through guilt, shame, or anything like that. Uh, what is the number one motivating force? That's uh, okay, that is, uh, preachers have been the world's worst at this. You know, you're going to go to hell, you know, or don't you feel bad about this or something or whatnot. But the point is, you, that motivation lasts as long as that person's there talking to you, you know. What is the motivating force for us? Love of Christ. Okay. The, the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts through the Holy Spirit. For nobody, someone might die for a righteous man. Somebody might die for a good man. But while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. We love because he first loved us. 1 John 4, verse 19. Jesus talking to uh, Simon and, and the harlot, ex-harlot, washing his feet and crying. And Simon with his nose stuck in the air. And he says, listen, Simon, two people owe you a debt. One of them's great big and the other one's little. And you forgive them. Which one loves you the most? And Simon didn't have any problem with that. He said, I suppose the one he forgives. So this woman had a lot of sins. But she was forgiven and now she loves a lot. Now Simon had sin too, but he didn't realize it. I really believe that I love Christ to the extent that I know that I deserve to go to hell. That, that I am a sinner. Uh, that nobody's pulled a fast one on me by putting me in this body. I'm going to die because I'm a sinner. And Christ Jesus took what I deserve on himself on the cross. And so Paul says the grace of God constrains me. It's that love. And if you think of it any other way, you're going to quit along the way. Because, see, most in the church are not going to do these things. It never happens. And so you're going to look and you say, other people are not doing this. And, and why is it? You, you forget about other people. It's, it's, you're doing it for Christ. And that has to be the motivating influence all the time. You're doing it for Christ because he loved you and Jesus died for you. And this is what we can do that makes him happier than anything we can possibly do. I can't live perfectly, even though I'd like to. But I can sure share the good news that I have in Christ with, with other people. And that, that becomes the motivating force. Ready? I think, too, we need to pray every day for opportunity. That's great. Uh, in fact, we neglect. I'm guilty. We need to pray for opportunity. Uh, I like uh, praying for God to lead you, you know, to a soul. And, and to help us to have the knowledge and the strength to make the best of that. I heard a sermon on that one time, and he said, if you truly want that, and you're praying for that, because you really want it, you'll get it. He says, don't pray for it unless you want it, because it's going to happen. Before we close out this morning, because I, I want you to be in the habit, if we, get it, we dismiss whatever we said uh, for next time and all. Anybody want to say something before we have a closing prayer? Any other comment? Okay, I gave you the materials that we didn't finish going over, and there were some other things, but I'd love to have another time where we get together, uh, maybe on a, a Sunday night or something, but uh, I don't want to interfere with your Saturday mornings or anything like that. We just wanted to get this started. But to have another time where we get together and talk and maybe pull others in, and where we're going to get more others involved is when they actually see some visitors uh, come into service because of us inviting them and and we're going to sow seed it's going to take time uh, and uh, in fact from what I've read when you first start to work with a stranger the average is about two years to lead that person to Christ for somebody that's receptive and so there's a lot of seed that needs to be sown uh, as, before we start reaping a harvest but we, we need to get out there and sow and we need to work any other comment Okay, before we uh, close in, uh, Steve, I understand, would you lead us in closing prayer?
picture of those around us, the, the love that we feel, and the comfort that we have in that we need. Be with us all now, Father, if we know you can protect us, keep us in your care, save us in Jesus' name we pray. All right, as we leave, let me ask you this, and getting back to what Todd said, would you be interested in right now, I teach, of course, the adult class on Sunday morning and, and Wednesday night, Think about it, and if you'd be interested in one of those classes being for personal workers where we would study subjects like uh, how to historically prove the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ and present charts that you can actually sit down with and the document. In other words, I would do the research and give you the charts and the documents and things like that and to learn how to sit down with somebody on those type of subjects. But if you would... Let me know, and I, I really, I, I believe the elders would be for this, that if we could use one and, and just simply, so it wouldn't take any more of your time, if you're going to be doing some of the other, and have a class for those that are interested in talking and leading others to Christ and some different type lessons that are good and can be presented formally, and, and you have the outline and all the information in your mind. Okay, thank on it. Let's, uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, Tim and Christy have been watching them. Uh, and by the way, that's something we need to work on for those that have children. I have a note here concerning that when it comes to leading others, most of the people we're going to reach is in this 20 to 40 category. And that's the age when people also have children. And we really need to work together uh, on the thing with the child care and helping out in that area.